Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Change Podcast. This is Nate. And this is Marla. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, this is part two of the wellness model, and we are going to be talking today about occupational, we're going to be talking about intellectual, and we're going to be talking about social pursuits and how they all apply to mental health. That's right. So, um, wait, 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 before we start, oh, we got to tell people contact. how to get a hold of yeah, us. Yeah, I'm sorry. We always forget that. We just are talking out in the ether and everybody wants to talk to us, but we're not doing that. So let's give them our email again and some contact information. Yeah. So our email is workingchangecoaching at gmail.com. Right. And you can use that if you want to contact us about coaching or if you want to have just like ask questions or whatever about the podcast. Um, certainly... It's important to understand that we're sharing things that we feel like are scientifically backed up by evidence. But part of this, especially for me as a clinician, is my opinion as a clinician. So if you have questions or disagree and and want more clarification, we're happy to have the interaction. If you're interested in coaching, you can contact us through that. I have my email, natechristiansoncounseling at gmail.com. And... Uh, there's multiple spellings for that, so sometimes I wonder if maybe just using the coaching would be better because I, I don't know if there's multiple spellings for working and changing. Well, and do you coding. want to spell Christensen for people? Okay, it's C H R I S T E N S E N. Yes. So um, you can contact me if you're interested in therapy. Um, I, my office is in Rockland. I, as we mentioned before, I work under Tony Overbay, so I'm in the same building as him. And um, so if you're in the Sacramento area and you would like um, any kind of counseling, I'm available. And in addition to that, if you're in the state of California, we can do virtual counseling. So let me know if you're outside the state. It, it's um, I work as a life coach, so we can, right. we can do stuff with that, too. All right. I'm excited. Occupational. All right. Occupational. So where do now we this one's kind of under misunderstood, I think, sometimes. I think you and I have already kind of discussed this a little bit, and we... Had a little bit of fighting about what occupational meant. So maybe we should define what occupational is according to the wellness model. So occupational according to the wellness in the model is mostly associated with like a job slash career. Okay. Um, Now that doesn't mean that there aren't other things that have impact in our lives that are occupational like. Right. And that's where where you and I were discussing. Right. I got a little mama bear fierce about the fact that I was a stay at home mom. And I still kind of am mm-hmm. um, for like tw- over 20 years. And I, you know, when I first started staying home with my children, I would get those applications or whatever. And people would be like, what was your job? And I'm like, I just stayed home. You know, and people were like, Marla, that is totally a career and a job and an occupation. So now I'm like proud and I'm like, you know, I'm a mom, you know, or whatever. But um, I think that people really don't understand that. And I, and so I get a little defensive of that, that the, this is a definitely a career and an occupation to stay at home with your children and raise them. Yeah, and I didn't disagree with that. I was just simply stating that from the from the wellness model, it, it, it probably didn't carve out a real good spot for Right, I'm carving my own spot out of the yeah. wellness model. That's what I'm doing. So. And, I, and I actually agree with you. I mean, stay-at-home moms do a lot of work. I've at different times had to do some stay-at-home yeah. dad stuff, and it's really challenging to raise kids in some ways. And, and I understand that every job is different, but in some ways, some of the jobs that I've had were easier than staying home with the kids. Yeah. So... I, yeah, I always said, you can't afford me. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm too good at this. So <laughs> it's good. Yeah, so I just married you instead. 
There you go. That's Work the way, around. That's the way to no, do it. That's, that's always what you're doing. Okay, back to occupational. All right, occupational. So occupational, again, is is more closely related with um, jobs slash careers, mm-hmm. things that we're paid for. And the first thing that's important is work-life balance. Right. So people that have work-life balance are less likely to be depressed and anxious. And work-life balance is often more associated or defined as... Um, the ability to live your life and have a career uh, as opposed to your career taking over your life. Um, And certainly there are people out there that have experienced that where, where the demands of their job are so great that they can't take time off that they, you know, if they need a few hours here or there to go watch a kid's baseball game or to go do something that is important to them and their family, they aren't necessarily able to do that. And right. that contributes to poor mental health. Right. Many employers, especially like larger employers, are very well aware of this. So they do try to create good work-life balance. I worked for a large um, insurance company, and I thought they did a pretty good job of, of giving us the ability to start our day and end our day, you know, within a certain range, but it didn't have to, we didn't have to be there when they said that we did. We didn't have to leave when they said we did. Right. They gave us, um, plenty of, of P- paid time off PTO. Um, they were, were good at being flexible if we needed to work at home. I really appreciated that part of, of my job, um, my, my past career, but not everyone has that flexibility. No. no. And some people were working multiple jobs just to get make ends meet. So Mm -hmm. it definitely is something that is important. Right. So other things um, that we see with occupational is is job fit. And for me, having ADHD, I worked in the trades. I was in construction for many years, which interestingly enough, you often see people with ADHD, uh, whether it's because they struggle to sit down in a seat and listen for half an hour in school. So they just like... School was hard enough right. to get through. I don't want to do more school after high school. Um, so for some people, that makes more sense. But for me, a lot of the work that I did was challenging in the sense that it was monotonous. Mm-hmm. So I was bored. And so it was a bad fit for me in that sense. Um, ultimately, I ended up going back to school and working, like I said, as for an insurance company as an underwriter, which I found a lot more interesting but it still wasn't the exact right fit for me. There was kind of a sales component, and that was hard for my personality. Um, I also struggle when you have to like really, really focus intently on something that maybe you find somewhat boring. We had these kind of worksheets, and you had to just plug numbers in. It was right. almost just data entry-ish, and I found that really hard. So you're bringing something up for me, which is I think that we should um, understand, because I'm seeing this with young in the young adult age bracket. Um, like 18 to like 30, 35, or even up to 40, that we struggle with the idea that when we get into college, we need to know what we're going to do for the rest of our life. Mm -hmm. Uh, The world has kind of changed in that. Gone are the days that you worked a job for like 50, 60 years, and that was the only thing that you did. We're finding more that people are now working jobs and then changing careers. Like I had a pediatrician that I went to once who had told me she was in her 60s, and she told me that she was a vet for like 40 years and then in her 50s or 60s she decided she wanted to go back and become a pediatrician by vet do you mean veterinarian she was a or, veterinarian okay, I, I was already an no. army vet or <laughs> no, 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 military no. sorry she was a veterinarian okay and so she she said i was you know working with animals and now i wanted to work with little children animals you know i mean it she wanted to make a career change mm-hmm. really late in life so sometimes 
we our occupational isn't one thing all through our life. It's not a stagnant thing. It can change. Right, we can, it's fluid. We can get into different things. Yeah. And I think that that's important to understand. There's a lot yeah. of pressure just in that. Like, I haven't found my occupation, so I don't know who I am, so I'm stressed out and I'm depressed that I don't know who I am and what I'm good at. Yeah. And, you know, I, I going back to the company that I worked for, I thought they did a pretty good job of letting people know that they were okay with transfers within the company to different types of positions. Right. So maybe the position that you were in wasn't exactly what you wanted. Um, I, at one point I tried to interview for another job. I didn't really have the experience they were looking for cause they mm-hmm. wanted somebody with experience right off the bat, but I appreciated the fact they gave me an interview anyway. Cause I felt it felt to me like they were letting me know, Hey, we're okay. If you want to move to a different spot within the company, um, because that fit is important. That matters a lot. Um, so there, I, I had a few statistics that I wanted to throw out there that I think all right, statistics. Let's go. I know, I know. Some people hate this part, but I like <laughs> that. Um, so a 2014 survey by the American Psychological Association found people's jobs are the second most common source of stress in their lives. Only second? Second. Second. Who's the first? I don't know. <laughs> we'll leave that up to you guys. <laughs> yeah. I'd have to go look and see what the APA says. But I was pretty fascinated that that was the second most common yeah. source of stress. Yeah, I can see that in some... Yeah. Instances, yeah. Yeah. The Anxiety and Depression Association of America reports seven out of ten adults feel like workplace stress have ne- has negative consequences on personal relationships. And most of those personal relationships that, that are feeling that are like spousal. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can see that. There have been times in my first marriage that um, his career was super stressful on our relationship mm-hmm. just because of the type of career that he had. Right. And we did fight over that. And that's super stressful. It can be straining on a relationship, yeah. especially if the job is demanding. Yeah. And many jobs are demanding. And yes. so that's kind of the sacrifice that we make. Ultimately, what we tend to see is is people's mental health is better if they have an occupation where they're working that the fit is right, mm-hmm. that they're working with a, a boss and with peers that they feel connected to and that they feel like they can contribute and be heard and collaborate. Those all seem to correlate positively with better mental health. Yeah. So that's, those are kind of things that we like to try and, and focus on. Uh, should we move on intellectual? Yes, let's get at it. Okay. So intellectual. Intellectual is the idea that exercising our minds will help us develop cognitive abilities um, like problem-solving skills. And the reason that's important is because our ability to solve problems, life is going to give us problems all the time. And the better we become at solving problems, the more likely we will to have hope that we can overcome our challenges. So I really appreciate that definition simply because I think when people think intellect, they think, do I know everything? Do, do you know? Do, do I know all the facts? Do I know all the statistics? Am I, you know, smart in that sense? Mm-hmm. When intellect is about problem solving, there are some really smart people who are not book like institutional educated. They don't have multiple degrees, but they are educated in other ways, and their intellect is beyond some people that are. Yeah, that's an interesting point. You know, like education now is is still often thought of as a school, mm-hmm. but our our ability to access information has never been greater with right. things like the internet. So you, can- yeah, I mean, I've got people that were like on Khan Academy just learning stuff. Like I think mm-hmm. at one point, you know, I had a son who was like, 
yeah, I'm on here and I'm learning about like astrophysics and I'm like, what? Like kind of weird, but right. okay. You know, I mean, the, you didn't, you say once you had a psychiatrist that loved calculus. Yeah. Yeah. My first meeting with him, I walked into his office and he had a calculus book on his coffee table and I took calculus in college and it was, I found it really difficult. And so I thought it was weird. And I was like, were you doing calculus? He's like, yeah, I like to kind of do it, you know, just kind of keep things sharp upstairs. And I was like, wow, that's nuts. And then I learned the Wellness model. I was like, he was totally right. (laughs) And I would not do that. Like, I think I would have hidden that on my coffee table. I would not be like proud about sharing that. So I think that there's something about being proud of what you are learning too, Mm -hmm. that that is interesting there. And and then that helps with our mental health, like being able to share what we find intellectually stimulating with other people. Yeah. Yeah. Which so, feeds into the social component, which we're going to talk about Yeah, next. Yeah, we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. Um, there was some other things that I thought that were, were really helpful to consider. So there was a 2006 paper out of Germany that I found that um, looked at education and discovered that education reduces the risk of becoming depressed. And interestingly enough, education is more impactful for women. So that effect is stronger for women than it is for men. And you had a thought about what could be driving that. Yeah, we talked about this earlier, and I I got a little bit heated with you, I think, over it. Because in my own personal life, I saw that to be true. I went through a a rough part in my first marriage where I was trying to decide whether or not I wanted to stay or go. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, I was telling you that my uh, one of my biggest parts of staying was the fact that I wasn't educated. And I felt like that was um, a detriment to me. Like I wasn't going to be able to go out and get a job that I was going to be able to support four children with, that um, I felt like I could give them a standard of living that they needed. Um, I was worried that I was going to be working a very minimum wage job and I wouldn't be able to be there or working multiple jobs and not be able to be there for them. And it all hung on education, which in the end, you know, I stayed a little bit longer probably than I should have in that relationship. But I learned at the end when it did dissolve that I wanted to be educated. I didn't want to get a job that I didn't find fascinating or that wasn't good for me. And so I chose to go back to school full time and to get my bachelor's and to to get a career that I would really love, that I would find um, fulfilling so that I could be happy. But education was the key to that. It was the way I was going to get to other parts of my life. And it was really depressing, though, in those times where I knew that, like, my education was not going to get me to point P and that I needed more. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's an important component for for many people to understand, like, the intellectual piece of education can be a barrier to what we want to accomplish right. occupationally. Mm-hmm. And so for... Or even socially. Yeah. I mean, there, yeah, there's there's certainly lots of different ways that that, um, that this kind of plays out over the different dimensions of the wellness model. And and certainly, even if you didn't necessarily get divorced, I mean, there's... there's if, if you are one of the 29% of women that are stay-at-home moms and you don't have an education, I mean... Do people worry about well what what would happen if my husband who supports us died? Right. Or no, I've had multiple conversations to work. with girlfriends, and it's really interesting because I see them all get to this certain point, and it's this point where they they have stopped learning for like maybe a decade or whatever, so they're in their thirties and they're like, I need something more here, and I always tell them you need to learn 
Like you need to be working your mind a little mm-hmm. bit. And I've had several of them go back to school and a couple of years later they come back and they tell me that was exactly what I needed. Mm-hmm. Like I needed to be engaging my mind in mm-hmm. learning and expanding and growing. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, the, you know, this next statistic I want to throw out, I think kind of goes along well with that. Mm-hmm. There was a 2016 study that reported that creativity or the pursuit of creative goals were associated with positive affect, reduced stress, anxiety, uh, reduced anxiety, and reduced depressive symptoms. So that's a part of the this intellectual. So there's the educational piece, um, mm-hmm. and then there's some kind of crossover where where we see creativity as as also helping our intellectual uh, skills. Right. So okay. So what do we mean by creativity? Um, in, in this case, uh, what the authors specifically pointed at was writing Mm -hmm. and they use an example of journaling. Uh, they also looked at drawing or painting, working with clay or ceramics, um, playing musical instruments. To all of that, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. When I play Play-Doh, I'm always like happier. Right. Right. And, and that's why we bought you (laughs) a giant Play-Doh set. Okay. So I might have a little bit of fetish with like art supplies, but you know, we're okay. Yeah. The, I mean, but you have recognized in your own life right. how ed, how as as part of your own well being, doing things creative seems to make you feel better. Right. And so that's that's really what we're talking about. Um, I also wanted to point out a study that I found that was interesting, and and you always have to kind of be a little bit careful about comparing animals to human beings, right. but. It was interesting. This is a rat study. It is the rat you study. You like it rat studies. Yeah. <laughs> so there was a 2015 study on rats in UC okay. Berkeley. And uh, what they found was when they gave the rats the opportunity to have intellectual stimulation um, and they gave them a, a drug, mm-hmm. um, the rats would, would choose the intellectual stimulation over the drug when given the opportunity to choose between the two. And what researchers believe is that if if we use intellectual stimulation, you know, commonly in our life, that can act as a, a protective barrier uh, between us and potentially addictive substances or behaviors. So I'm thinking about this and applying it to like children and I'm like, I don't know if that would work. Like if <laughs> Well, so what they did in the study is they gave them kind of an opportunity to to explore. So they gave them kind of a little maze. Right. And well, they got like, to be creative a yeah, little bit. And there's like, yeah, and there's like Cheerios at the yeah. end. And so they got to go experience this and win a little prize if, you right. know, if they completed it. And, or they could go into this little area where they would get some cocaine. And what they found after exposing them to both is, is they preferred, the rats to, preferred to, yeah, mm-hmm. to go into the maze and to try and find the little Cheerio. And so, I don't know. I thought that was interesting. Might have application. The researchers felt it did, at least. Hmm. So, I thought I'd throw that out there, too. All right. Let's talk about your favorite social and by favorite, you're obviously being sarcastic because... Uh, I know how much you love being social. <laughs> it doesn't come as naturally for me. I well, I don't know if it comes naturally for me either, but there is a difference between people who are extrovert and introvert. Mm-hmm. And there is a term called ambivert, which is a combination of both. Right. So you're not as strongly extroverted or as strongly introverted. You're kind of somewhere you in the You kind middle. of do both. And okay. it's a little more rare than being like full on extrovert or introvert. And you can 
take tests to find out whether you're an ambivert. I think I'm an ambivert. I'm going to take that test at some point and let you know. Okay. I don't even need the test. I'm an introvert. I know that. <laughs> He's an introvert. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, um, so first off, I thought it was interesting. This is just kind of a random tidbit of information. I found something interesting. Uh, there appears to be a biological reason that someone is introverted versus extroverted. Mm. And it has to do with acetylcholine versus dopamine. So dopamine is a neurotransmitter mm-hmm. that's associated with short-term reward and focus and learning and things right. like that. And people that have, let's say, robust dopamine systems, mm-hmm. dopamine systems that um, they get a big bump from, big boost from, um, those people tend to be more extroverted. So acetylcholine is more associated with our body at a rest state. And so for whatever reason, people that are more introverted have kind of a tendency to prefer acetylcholine. Like they seem to feel more, I don't know, in the, in, in their comfortable state, if you mm. will. Um, so there's kind of a biological backing behind that. So, so is that one more thing I can blame on my parents? Like, oh man, my mom and dad made me this way. That's a great question. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I think I'd be careful with that, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> well, you know, some people win the genetic lottery. Some That's people, not true. Not so much, um, <laughs> but I, I think the important thing about being social, and I and I understand for extroverts, like this is like, oh yeah, absolutely, right. like love being social. For introverts, it's like, well, I'm kind of introverted. I'd rather not. So it I'm talking to you, yeah. all introverts, and I'm including myself in, in this <laughs> in this one. So the first thing is, well, why does it even matter? And it matters because. People who report having close friendships have lower rates of depression and anxiety. Okay. I can so do that. we already know that that having close friendships and, and that doesn't necessarily mean going you know, I, I didn't say obviously people that go to parties every weekend have right. lower rates of depression and anxiety. But we need close friendships. And and even as introverts, you know, we can can not only create close friendships and maintain right. those Um, But they can be really valuable to us. So I'm going to back you up just a little bit because I think maybe I'm having an issue with the word social. Like when I think of social, I think of like going to the party and hanging out with large groups. We're not necessarily talking about that as much as like being social is just having human connection, connection, interaction, contact. contact. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we all need that. We do. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. Yes. Or an ambivert. Yes. 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 We all need it. Um, so why do we need it? And right. and I'm going to go to the science. I'm really interested in science. I'm, I know for some people, this I'm going to be speaking a foreign <laughs> language for a few minutes, but just bear with me. So I think that there's there's really three important things, maybe four, to consider. And I'm going to throw a couple chemical names out there. Uh, one is endorphins, mm-hmm. and those are basically like our 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 body's painkiller system okay so if you go to the hospital and you have surgery or something they would give you morphine morphine right. is a is an opiate well our body has natural opiates and those are endorphins and another thing well so there's also oxytocin oxytocin okay. is a hormone it's it's uh highly associated with connectivity mm-hmm. and um and then there's dopamine which i mentioned previously which is our, our kind of short-term reward center it's highly associated with learning and focus right. and things like that and then there's also serotonin and serotonin is is our kind of long-term peace and happiness type um of, of chemical or neurotransmitter so why do each of those matter? They matter because there was a, um, a study that I was looking at. It was a 2017 study. And 
it basically found that people that are social mm-hmm. that really put themselves out there that have in some cases that had like a romantic type relationship in some cases had a really wide network of friends right. um, all benefited from endorphins from oxytocin from dopamine and serotonin now serotonin was actually most associated with a wider network network of friends so if you have a fair amount of friends, maybe even a large group of friends, people seem to get a serotonin boost from that. Right. That makes sense, though. I mean, if you think about it, like if I only have one friend and they're not always available to me, I'm not going to get that benefit of connection. Yeah. Um, But if I have a lot of friends to choose from and and to go be social with, I'm going to keep consistently getting those benefits. And I think you could see how that would kind of bring a sense of peace to somebody's life. If right. you know that you have a, a wide support structure and then there would always be somebody there that could help you if you were in need and stuff like right. that, you could see how that, that would, would bring someone some right. sort of, of peace or comfort. Well, I think that's the benefit of being an extrovert. You tend to have those wider socials. The introverts sometimes struggle and they've got it seems like a smaller, a smaller group. group. And they might be closer. Right. I don't know if it's always closer, but they're... That would be interesting to look at the studies on that. Yeah. See. Yeah. Well, I, I've certainly heard that. Whether or not that's true, I couldn't say from the literature because I didn't specifically look at that, but I've, heard, I've certainly heard that. Um, so then let's kind of move to some of the things that we found from the research. And I, I found an interesting study that looked at um, exercise in a social setting. And this came from the University of New England College of Osteopathic Medicine. And they found that people who exercised with other people got more of a benefit than those that exercised alone. Uh, The people that exercised with another person or in a group Mm -hmm. reported 26% lower stress levels than those that worked out alone. And I know what some people are going to say, well, I guess working out alone is worthless which is yes. absolutely not the uh. case. Working out alone is better than not exercise. You know, as we talked about from the first right. podcast, right. physical is super important. So please you do that. But if you can do it in a group, physical. even better. Or with a friend, mm-hmm. even. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, the research from Northwestern universities found that super agers, which are people over 80 years old, but they have cognitive skills that you would typically see in someone much younger than them. They always had, or they they all shared one particular trait, which was they had close friendships. Interesting. So, yeah, it's it's something that that seems to be found in people that um, are are happier, that do well cognitively as they age. Now, I wonder if that is the like a friendship relationship. Did they say, or was it like a like a romantic? Like a marriage relationship. They didn't, yeah. So they didn't specify, um, mm. but I could see it going either direction in that. I mean, either way, having close friends is is really important. Um, and even on on in relationship to our physical health, right? Um, a university study out of the Netherlands found that people that are socially active were at lower risk for type two diabetes. Hmm. So. Um, there's a, a lot of benefits and for all of my introvert friends, I feel your pain. I do. Being social is challenging and you know, whether it's going to church or going to a party or going to a family gathering or whatever it is, I typically, what I do is, is my kind of strategy is find the people that I'm closest with and kind of more create my, my group within a group. Mm-hmm. So if it's one person or a couple people, I mean, I'm a, I'm a therapist, so I, I enjoy people in small controlled settings when the larger it gets, the more overwhelming it can get. 
So if you can find your, your small group within a group, then sometimes I find that a little bit easier to manage. I don't know if, if you really care as an ambivert, doesn't matter. I'll, I'll... No, I, I have, like, I think the same, those moments when I'm more introverted and I think about having to go somewhere with large amounts of people. And I have to tell myself, you know, this is going to be good for you. You're going to mm-hmm. feel good after you do it, right. you know. And there are strategies to entering into a room and finding, you know, the, the person that you want to hang out with or the people that, you know, you feel safe with or whatever. Uh, it is hard to just go into a room where you know nobody, yes. you know, like going into a classroom for the first time and, you know, you're not taking that class with anybody and there's 60 new faces, you know, or whatever. So, yeah, I, I think it, it can go both ways, yeah. you know, but knowing that at the end of that, you will probably feel better, I think, is the payout that some people just need in order right. to do it. And and I think that that being able to keep that in mind when we're especially maybe going into something and feeling a lot of anxiety right. and recognizing we're feeling a lot of anxiety, but understanding, as you say, coming right. out on the other end, you're going to feel so much better. Well, I know, like, well, I'm taking classes right now and, you know, they are on Zoom. And so I sit every 11 weeks with a new group of people with two different classes and you show up and there are 11 new faces or mm-hmm. 15 new faces that you don't know and this program asks you to be very intimate in some ways and talk about yourself and that's kind of unnerving mm-hmm. you know but by the end of the class I've got good friends in, in every class that I that I want to you know so you have to allow time you know you have to be able to be vulnerable enough to enter the room at least and 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 speak right. and make those connections right and you know sometimes when i talk with people with with things like social anxiety disorder um my recommendation is to try to be intentional like they yeah. might have this kind of habit of going into a group and kind of just being by themselves or being even with their friends but there's a lot of people around so they just don't want to talk um, I try to get them just to say a couple things, you know, mm-hmm. and, and as you do that, you, you become a little bit, you, you develop a little bit more confidence and, and you, it, it's just kind of a step-by-step process. Right. So that will go ahead and wrap us up for this podcast. Um, our next one is going to be the last two of the, well, well you talked about, okay, we're not sure. <laughs> All right, so I'd like to sneak another two in. Tell everybody <laughs> what, you're, what you would like to do. Uh, there are two other dimensions mm-hmm. to the wellness model that are usually talked about, and one is financial and the other is environmental. And I think that those do have impact. And um, so I might just try to sneak in a couple minutes okay. in each one of those. Okay, I think that would be good. Uh, so we will focus next week on emotional, yeah. which is big for us. That's yeah. what we do. And spiritual, and Marla would like to get in a little bit on financial <laughs> and environmental, which I do agree Those with her. Matter. They do matter. They yeah. do matter. So thanks for being with us, and uh, have a great week, and we'll see you next week.